Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. While you are turning there, I do have a couple of prayer requests. First of all, please keep Bernardo Reyes in your prayer. He had surgery uh, today, I believe it was, oral surgery, and is recovering, but that is why Inez, or Inez rather, is not here this evening. So please keep them in your prayers. And we are thankful for all that God is doing in their lives and their family. It is an exciting time to be living for the Lord. And I want him to be able to use me. And secondly, please be praying for Brother Levi. His health is continuing to decline uh, to the point where the nursing staff that has been visiting him is concerned for his safety moving forward and the administration of medicine specifically and so uh, his family called me today to ask my opinion uh, and unfortunately he will be moving from home and into nursing facility in Bluffton, River Terrace, where he will be under constant care. And uh, so, as far as I understand, they were beginning the paperwork process this evening. So, if you would like to visit him while he is home, my suggestion would be to do that as soon as possible probably tomorrow. I don't know what the schedule is. They're going to keep me apprised of the situation. And uh, my position on it is no, I don't like it. However, I also don't like him being unsafe. And that takes priority. And so I did speak with him today. I do believe that with the other extenuating circumstances and limitations of his medical coverage, uh, that this is the best option moving forward. So if you have specific questions, you can ask me after service. And if I am able to, I'll answer what I can. But please keep him in your prayers. And uh, I don't want him suffering. We don't want him suffering. And uh, Jesus' name. So keep him in your prayers. Make sure that if you're able, you stop by, visit him. And from my understanding, he is still able to receive visitors at the nursing facility. He's still going to be able to get up, be on his own, um, move around on his own this point I don't believe he'll be bedridden um, but they are going to have constant care there to make sure that he is safe at all times so
That's important. In Jesus' name. We love Elder. What a faithful man. What a faithful man. And it has been so very encouraging to me as I've been at his home to feel the presence of God dwelling there. Just hovering. It feels like he's just hovering over him and filling that home. And it is the mark of of God getting ready to welcome one of his saints to their eternal reward. And truly, life is a vapor. Even the 85, 86 years that Elder has lived and the, and the whole picture of eternity. What's 85 years? Many days and full of trouble. But when we get to heaven, there will be no tears, no sickness, no disease, no heartache, no bad memories. Our focus will be on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing, this is important to catch, he is not willing, he doesn't want any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Proverbs 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he or she that winneth souls is wise. Last Wednesday night, we preached, we taught, we talked about my first convert. Tonight, we're going to preach my second convert. My second convert convert. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your your spirit that is here in such a powerful way. God, I thank you for the worship. God, I thank you for this great congregation that is engaged in drawing close to you tonight. God, I pray that you would move in every heart and every mind and in every life. God, I pray that you would confirm your word tonight with miracles, signs, and wonders. God, I pray, Lord, that the supernatural would flow through this building. God, I pray that you would open every door that needs to be opened and close every door that needs to be closed. God, I pray that your will would be accomplished in this place tonight. God, that your word would find its mark and that your people would be ready to receive your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Why don't you give God a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful for his word. You can be seated tonight. Our opening scriptures, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. How many are thankful that he is a keeper of his word? He is a keeper of his word. He is not slack or lacking concerning his promise as some men are, as some human beings are. God's word can be trusted. He is long-suffering. We are thankful that I am thankful that he is long-suffering. Thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His desire is for each and every individual in our world to make their way into the kingdom of God in the earth. Because the fact of the matter is that if we cannot make our way into the kingdom of God in the earth, or if we will not make our way into the kingdom of God while we are on the earth, then we will not be able We will not be allowed, rather, and not able to be in the kingdom of God after the earth is gone. Eternal reward will not be ours. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. This scripture describes to us the day of the Lord. It refers to the day when God will come back. And we're not preaching tonight about eschatology just as we were not preaching last week about eschatology. But we do need to understand that the day of the Lord is drawing closer and closer. That God could come back at any moment. We're not here to preach or teach about the last days, but we understand that God is coming back and he can do so quickly. And when he does, Satan will be Defeated, But we also understand that God has given humanity a period of grace. He's given us time. He is long-suffering to us, word. He's giving humanity time to get their act together. He's giving us time to make the right decisions, to change courses, that, that we would not perish, but that we would come to repentance. And repentance is a changing of lifestyle. It is a changing of direction, a changing of decision. And when I change the direction that my life is traveling, everything else that we know about New Testament salvation will follow. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If I'm going to be a diligent seeker of God, it's going to start with having faith that he exists, and then it's going to move on into a life of repentance where I'm not living according to my carnal nature. I'm just hitting this real quick because we've got a place to go tonight, but we're we're not going to live according to the ways of our carnal flesh and our carnality. And I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing that excites me more than seeing people say, you know what, this is who I used to be, but I don't have to be that way anymore. I'm choosing not to be. I'm going to make some tough decisions. I'm going to make some hard decisions because they're going to be hard here in the earth, but they have eternal reward. I'm thankful for folks that make decisions based upon eternal reward. 
So during this period of grace, God's plan is for the church to be his hands and his feet, to be the body of Christ, to reconcile the world unto himself. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Proverbs lets us know that he that winneth souls is wise. I was preaching in English and Spanish last week, so I'm going to take my time here at the onset and kind of dig into this, uh, whereas I couldn't last week uh, as, as much as I wanted to. But one commentary says that he that winneth souls is wise. The language there, uh, it, it has to do with the same kind of language when we talk about somebody that hunts birds or traps birds, a fowler. As a fowler doth birds, he catcheth souls. He taketh souls. He is always on the hunt for souls. When I walk into Walmart, I'm on the hunt for souls. Now, I'm not that way all the time. I can do better. But I'm just telling you, he that winneth souls is wise. If you want to be a wise soul winner, then when you go into Walmart, you got you to be looking for the right opportunity. God, give me discernment. God, let me know, is this person ready or are they not ready? I, 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 I've got to make it my design. And not just a hunter of birds, but a fisherman. As a fisherman fishes. Well, this bait didn't work the last time, so I'm going to switch baits. I'm probably not going to use a crankbait if I'm catfishing, Brother Chris. I mean, maybe, but I'm probably not. If I'm going catfishing, then I'm going to go buy some chicken liver. We'll let it sit out in the sun for a couple of days, make sure it gets nice and smelly. And they're going to be attracted to that. I got to know how to use the right bait. If I'm bass fishing, I'm not going to be using chicken liver. I'll be using a crankbait. So I'm going to make it my business to know how to win souls. Because he that wins souls, it's going to take some knowledge. It's going to take some action. It's going to take some practice. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make me use all of my skill and all of my diligence to gain souls unto God. Paul said, I became all things to all men. He's not saying I changed my lifestyle or I changed the morals by which I lived. He said, but I found common ground and I had to know how to talk to them. I had to know what to say to them and what would, what would get their interest and what would not. Yes. He doesn't go to the Romans or the Greeks and start preaching to them about circumcision. That's not the right message for that crowd. But I'm going to use my skill and my diligence because I want to be a wise person. And I'm going to gain souls by using skill and diligence. I'm making it my business. I'm going to learn that Bible study frontwards and backwards. I'm not going to be at the class tomorrow night, so you're getting ready to get pastors 25 cents. Are you ready? One of my favorite Bible studies to teach is search for truth. Some people don't like search for truth because there's so much there. This is why I like search for truth because I could teach anybody out of that same book and I could teach it like a college course or I could teach it like the, to a third grader. Well, how do you do that, pastor? Or do you change the words? No, I don't change the words, but you got to pray. You got to fast. You got to be led by the spirit and you got to let the spirit lead you to the point where you know that material good enough. You don't need the book. 
You can let the spirit guide you through that. I don't have to dumb it down. I don't have to water it down. I'm just going to take my time and flow in the Holy Ghost. You want to be a good Bible study teacher, you're going to have to learn to pray. If you're going to be a soul winner, you're going to have to learn how to pray. You're going to have to learn how to be a student of the word. I'm plucking them out of the snare of the devil. He that taketh or winneth or catcheth souls is wise. Shows himself to be a truly wise and good man or a good and wise woman. James continues by telling us in James chapter 5 and verse 19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know. Tell them that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. He didn't say a body from death. He said a soul. That's spiritual death. Which is of more consequence than physical death. It is appointed unto every man to die. But that's not the end. He that converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from, we could say, eternal death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let him know. Let him be absolutely sure of the fact. It is absolutely certain. It's not a question. If you are responsible for winning a soul, you have just saved a life. You are a spiritual superhero. The cape is not included. He which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. He that converteth, he that turns or returns shall hide a multitude of sins. They're going to be covered and they're never going to be seen and that is they're never going to be punished because they have been hidden underneath the blood of the spotless lamb. So let me stop here and let me encourage somebody who has been suffering with guilt and shame. If you have been converted, if you have walked the the path and experienced the new birth, your sins are under the blood. They are hidden. It is not God who is reminding you of them. It is the accuser of the brethren. You don't have to listen to that voice. imagine if you are winning that soul, if you are part of that conversion, you are helping to hide. You say, well, God does that. Yeah, but God, God needs you to be his hands and his feet. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been involved in bringing them to God. You've been the bridge. Matthew 9, verse 36. Boy, I'm making good time tonight. You may not feel it, but I do. Look, I even got my little stopwatch going. 
Matthew 9, 36, but when he saw the multitudes, what multitudes? These were the folks that had been listening to him teach all day. Now it's late in the day. The disciples say, Lord, send them away. They gotta be hungry. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. God cares about your stability. So he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of souls to win. We need more soul winners. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, we get from this, this passage that there is an attitude of urgency. He didn't say, hey, let's go home and think about it. He didn't say, hey, let's go over here in this boat and let's just talk about it. He's saying, no, you got to pray. There's an urgency and an attitude of urgency that surrounds harvest time. And anytime harvest time rolls around, there's an attitude of urgency that pops up. The harvest has to be gathered when the weather is right. We've just got a short window. We can't do this if the weather's not right. That's why you see farmers running all night long sometimes in the fall when, when the weather is right and when there's a storm front moving in because I gotta get everything done that I can because uh, there's just a short window. There's an urgency about the harvest. Yeah. The harvester's gotta make the most of each moment. The harvest must be reaped before the crops rot or fall to the ground and are lost. So the harvester has to be quick and efficient. I don't know about you, but I want to be an effective reaper. I want to be an effective laborer in the field. And we understand by this point in this second, second message of this, this, well, I don't know if it's a series, but it's, it is what it is. Uh, by this point, we understand that we've got to have workers in the field. We understand that the wise people of God are people who desire to see the kingdom of God come here in the earth. That we don't have to wait until, uh, eternity to see the glorious kingdom of God, but God has given us the ability to experience the earnest of our inheritance. The interest of our inheritance is here right now, and I want everybody to experience it now so that they can experience it later. So in the present, we need people who are going to win souls and people that are going to make it their business to win souls. People that when they go to work, they've got to go to work to provide a paycheck to to support the family. But when they go to work, they're not just about their own business. They're about the father's business. They might be going to the store to get some food to eat. Thank God for food to eat. But I got to be the bread of life while I'm there. I'm walking into darkness. I got to let the light shine. I got to win souls. I want to win souls. Let me say it to you this way. If each and every one of us won one soul, just one, every year, the church would double. Every year. One soul a year. And the church would double. problem is and just take this for what it is I just you just take it <laughs> our idea 
as human beings is I've got to win the masses. I got to win the thousands. And in the process of trying to win thousands, we neglect the one that's hungry that's next to us. Was Jesus concerned with the masses? You better believe he was. He just fed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. He was concerned about the masses, but he didn't live with the masses. He lived with the 12. You see, when a person gets involved in helping others turn from carnality to God, that individual is going to be blessed, and they're going to be part of the solution to hide a multitude of sins, and that is in and of itself a blessing. We talked about it last week. I'm going to reiterate it now. My first convert, the only one, in fact, that I can control is myself. I'm not saying that to say I'm just going to, to just hunker down here behind the pulpit and I'm just going to worry about myself and I'm just, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not going to sit here and say that you just need to sit in your church pew and you just need to be concerned about yourself and you just need to be a selfish Christian and hoard the gospel, hoard the good news. You know it. When I was broken, you were my healing, but I'm not going to share that with anybody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying tonight is that you cannot control whether others live for God or not, but you can control whether or not you live for God. So you make up your mind, and I hope you did last week, make up your mind, I am going to live for God. Come hell or high water, I'm going to live for God. And first and foremost, I got to make sure that I am saved. Lest after I have preached to others, I myself become a castaway. There is, there is danger when when the pressure of escaping my old life is off because I've made it far enough away that I feel like I'm safe. There's, there's danger in that because all of a sudden the pressure is off and we can get, we can become lazy and we're, we're all prone to being spiritually lazy. So our first convert is us. And I told you last week, parents, that doesn't mean that you give your kids a choice. If they live under your roof, it is your responsibility to make sure that they are in church. It is your responsibility to make sure that they have every opportunity to live for God. I told you we would talk about that more at a later time. Now is the later time. Your first convert is you, but your second convert is your family. What was Jesus' method for teaching his disciples? We already bumped it. Jesus taught the masses. The masses thronged him. The multitudes pushed on him. He healed them. He raised their dead. He gave sight to the blind. He, he, all of that, he did it. But at the end of the day, after the multitudes were fed, after the 5,000 plus the women and the children, and after the 4,000 in that separate occasion were fed, and we've got thousands of people who have experienced the ministry of Jesus. 500 are on the top of the mountain when he ascends. And 120 
are in an upper room praying. What happened to the masses? What happened to the thousands? It wasn't just that they got tired of waiting. They didn't even show. They didn't show up. Why? Because they weren't really converted. So do we ignore the masses? No. We don't ignore the masses, but we pay special attention to those who are with us the most. Jesus ate with the disciples. He lived with them constantly, or so it seems. He ate with them. He walked with them. He sat with them. He talked with them. They all stayed together basically all of the time for three years. He was able to pour into their lives every moment because of his nearness to them. Jesus didn't ignore the multitudes, but when he sought to make disciples, he said, I'm going to keep them close. And I'm going to make disciples, and then my disciples will reach the multitudes after I'm gone. So the model of Jesus shows us what? It shows us that the impact of taking time with those in our own home is incalculable. It's priceless. Let me just digress. What good is my winning the masses? If these three lose out with God after I'm dead and gone. Worse yet, what if these three grow to hate the church because of all the time I invest in the church and not with them? They don't. But I don't want them to either. I can't control their feelings, so I got to make sure I deal with the first convert. There's going to be some times when we come to the dinner table, and it's 9, 10, sometimes 11 o'clock at night, and some of y'all text me, and I don't answer, or somebody calls me. And I decline the call. Does that mean you don't love me, Pastor? No, it doesn't. But they're my saints too. And I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm not saying this to be harsh. We're talking about our second convert. My first convert is me. My second is them. Your second are your babies. Pastor, I don't have kids. Well, some of this you're going to glean and you're going to chew it up and digest it, let it settle in your spirit. And you can start praying for kids that you don't have yet. So, well, Pastor, I'm not able to be involved in my kid's life. I'm sorry. And I'm not preaching this tonight to, to poke or prod or do any of that. But I do believe that prayer is not bound by walls. So 
so you can chew on this and you can digest it all and you can start praying for kids that you may or may not even have access to. And God can still work in their lives. Because the model of Jesus shows us the impact of taking time with those in your own home. And let me just, there's a balance. There's going to be some calls that you get if you're involved in ministry that are really emergencies. And then there are going to be some times where you have to ask yourself, is this an emergency to them or is it a real emergency? That's pretty mean. It's not mean. You're going to have to draw some lines and figure out, are you going to get up from the table and go help brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so chase down the cat that's gotten out of the house for the 15th time and walk away from family dinner? I love you. Don't really love you, cat. But I love that you love you, cat. I'll come help you look, but after the kids are in bed. Because they're my second converts. Your kids are your second converts. Leviticus. Chapter 10. And verse 10. We start seeing the pattern established by God of how important families are. We all believe that family is important. Vitally important. That you may put a difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. So, He's talking about the things that God has instilled. Now, you're going to teach it to the nation. Now, what happens with it? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. And don't just listen to them to hear them, but listen to them to do them. And if you'll do them, then you're going to live and you're going to Go in and you're going to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers gives you. You're not going to add unto the word which I command you. Neither shall you diminish aught from it. That you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. I'm moving quickly to verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. My first convert. I'm going to keep my soul diligently. Lest I forget the things which my eyes have seen. And and, and so the things that were put into my heart. Don't leave. And then. After we deal with the first convert. And making sure the first convert's right. Teach them to your sons. And to your sons' sons. 
especially the day that you stood before the Lord thy God in Horeb when the Lord said unto me, gather the people together. I'm going to make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. He said, Moses, you're going to teach the nation. And then it's the nation's job in part to teach their children. Teach them to your children, to your sons and your sons' sons. And not just the letter of the law. He said, tell them about what happened at Horeb. You tell them about what happened when the glory of God itself descended on the mountain and the mountain shook. Moses, tell them to tell their children about you marking the line. You tell them about what it felt like in the presence of God and you lead them to the presence of God. Parents, our greatest responsibility after saving ourselves is to make sure that our children know the word but they've also felt the Spirit of God. That they may teach their children. This was a command that Israel evidently failed to obey. Because Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 says that there arose a generation which knew not Jehovah and they didn't even know the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't know about the Red Sea crossing. They didn't know about the manna that had fallen. They're living in the promised land by the time we get to Judges. I don't want that to be said of my children. I don't want that to be said of the youth of this church, that there arose a generation that didn't know how to pray. There arose a generation that said, you know what? We're chucking holiness in the trash. You know what? That, 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 I don't know why we did that. I don't know why we ever did that. We're just going to throw it away. We don't need that anymore. That's not going to be said of this generation. It's not going to be said of these young people. I don't want that said of my children. They didn't know how to study the word of God. They don't know how to pray. They don't know God or all that he's done for us. No, sir, no, ma'am. We need to make sure that we teach it to them. We need to make sure that we help convert their souls. They've got to have a relationship with God on their own. But they need us to lead the way. They need us to push forward. They need us to take charge. We also understand That it's not just up to the parents. It goes both ways. Parents, your kids need the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. They need the preaching and the teaching of their pastor. They need to hear the voice of the man of God as a clear sound in a world filled with confusion. This is what we believe. This is why we believe it. Because this is the word of God. But more than that, they also need to see you and they need to hear you living for God outside of the church. They need 
to see you living for God at home. They don't need to see you living one way at church and acting another way at home. They don't need to hear you talking one way at church and talking another way at home. They don't need to hear you speaking in tongues in church and cussing in English at home. They don't need to see you being kind and friendly at church and bad talking their mama or bad talking their daddy or bad talking their brother or sister at home. They need moms and dads who are filled with the Spirit of God. They need a mom and dad who are going to reinforce the word of God at home. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pause here and caution parents. So parents, please listen to me very closely. I have seen situations where parents create problems for their kids when their child starts getting closer to God, where that son or that daughter starts earnestly praying. I mean, they're really praying. They're really drawing close to God. I want to be at church more. I want to be used by God more. I've seen parents rise up and say, nope, you're grounded. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. Don't use church as a punishment. You're not cutting them off from the church. You're cutting them off from God. The church is their lifeline. The church is the bridge to help them get to God. So I've seen situations where parents create problems for their kids when they start getting closer to God. And I know that sounds far-fetched, but I believe that it comes from parents who have forgotten how to make sure that they stay saved themselves. And when they aren't where they should be spiritually, all of a sudden now their child starts drawing closer to God and starts making efforts to be closer to God, and all of a sudden they feel insecure. And they feel threatened. So I'm going to pull the reins back and I'm going to try to control them so I don't feel bad about myself spiritually. When in reality, we ought to say, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm not where I should be. So I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. We're going together. Parents, your kids love it when you're honest. When you show humility by admitting that you've made mistakes... They've got more respect for that, and that's going to create a a healthy environment for communication. You don't have to act like you have all the answers, because you don't. None of us do. So, don't feel threatened when your kids start outperforming you spiritually. Don't let that be you. If you're pursuing God relentlessly... If you are where you should be and God starts using your children in ways that he has not used you, that's not a slap in your face. That's a blessing. That's a feather in your cap. I want my kids to go further in God and further in the kingdom of God than they see me go. I want to chase God with everything that I am. But in doing that, I'm breaking through barriers. And I'm breaking down generational curses. So they can go further. Because they don't have to fight the weight. And they don't have to fight the giants that I've already killed. 
they're going to learn to dig their own wells. Isaac didn't start by digging his own wells. He started by cleaning out the wells that his father had dug. So he learned how to, oh, this is what daddy did when daddy dug this well. And he could start getting a feel for what it means to dig in. He could start getting a feel for what it means to have a prayer life. He can get a feel for what it means to come to the church and to seek the face of God and hear the voice of God. And all of a sudden, Abraham is providing for Isaac after he's already dead and gone because of the things that he provided for him. So parents, it's a blessing. Don't hinder them. Encourage them. How do I do that, Pastor? Let me, let me just tell you. If you're reading your, your Bible and there's something that pops up and you're just like, man, this is so cool. That night at dinner, or next time you're all sitting around the table, you still believe in family dinner. Around a dining table. Not on a couch in front of a TV. Because I want to be part of their conversion. I don't want the world to be part of their conversion. So the next time we sit down at the dinner table, say, hey, what do you guys think about this? And it sparks a conversation. You start putting things together as a family. When we get home tonight, what time is it? Oh man, I got ribs on the smoker. They'll be fine. We'll order pizza if they're burnt. Tonight we can get home and be like, hey, what do you guys think about what I said in church about Jesus and when he died and he was bearing our sins, let's just talk about it. It creates an environment where we start talking about biblical things. And we start letting them voice and let them think and let them express. What do you think about that? What do you think about this? Deuteronomy 6. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God, verse 1, I'm sorry, commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. There's some things you're going to do when you get to the promised land. It's not all going to be cake and ice cream. It's going to be a land of promise, but there's some things that you're going to have to do in order to maintain the promises of God. Do these things so that you fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you might increase mightily, that the Lord God of your fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. So what is he doing? He's prefacing this this chapter. He's saying, hey, this is getting ready to be a mouthful. You're getting ready to hear everything that you heard in Leviticus is going to be repeated now. So settle in. This is not going to be a short discussion. Prepare yourself. Get the blood moving. Make sure that you're awake. Make sure that you had your energy drink. Make sure you had your coffee. Make sure you're not sleeping on the preacher. Don't be in a rush to leave because when God speaks, it's important to listen. And moms and dads, it's up to us to make sure that our kids aren't just itching to get out of the church. Instead of rushing out and going to the car, why don't you say, hey, 
We're going to spend 15 minutes talking to people because if you'll stick around and talk and chat, they'll stick around and get connected to the body. I digress. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is... There is seldom a verse in the entirety of Scripture that has shaped Judaism and modern-day Christianity as much as Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God is one Lord. He had told them, hey, listen up. This is for you, for your sons, for your sons' sons. And love, you're going to love the Lord thy God. You shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. He hits every single part of the person, the body, soul, and spirit. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Parents, God wants to be in your home. And if you'll get God in your home, your home will be a place of peace. Your home will be a place of rest. Your home will be a safe place, a sanctuary. From the evil influences of the world. Again, Deuteronomy 11. Therefore shall you lay up these, my words, verse 18, in your heart and in your soul. Bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between thine eyes. Parents, if we will learn to treasure the word of God, our children are going to be more likely, not guaranteed because they have a choice too, but they will be more likely to treasure the word of God if they see us treasure the word of God. So let them see your focus. Let them see that this is the thing that drives my mom. This is the thing that drives my dad. I know that dad makes good money. I know that mom makes good money. I know that they care about us. I know that they love about. They love us. I know that they work hard for us. And even if they don't have a bunch of money, they, they, we've got everything that we need. They're working their tails off. But more than all of that, their focus is God. They're not just doing it for us. They're doing it for God. Tie it to your hand. Bind it as frontlets between your eyes. Verse 19. And ye shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. When you rise up. Parents, talk about the things of God to your kids. You're your first convert. They're your second. Let it be part of the conversation in your home. Let it be part of your conversation when you're out and about. When you lie down, when you get up. Again, he's referring, let your focus be known. Our world is going to center. Our world. Our Fishburne world. Your Pinkerton world. Your Voorhees world. Your Stratton world. All of, all of you, all of yous, the Figueroa world, the Clark world, the Roberts world, Estes world, the back world, all of the Smith world. Sorry, I blanked there for a second. I forgot your last name. <laughs> Jesus, help me. 
Bryce world, Easter Day world, Jessup world. Did I miss anybody? If I did, I'm sorry. I already said that. They were, I already said that. He was asleep though. My world is going to focus on God. Our world, our home is going to be focused on God. What's God want for us today? God, lead our day. God, thank you for another day. Thank you for what you did in our lives today. God, I thank you for your word. Parents, don't be afraid to bring up spiritual things to your kids. Even if you're afraid that you're not going to have the answers to the questions that come up, that's a perfect opportunity to write them down and say, hey, this is what we're going to do because we don't know this. Everybody, in two days, we're going to research this for two days. When we come back, if it's Tuesday, when we come back to dinner on Thursday, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to share what we've all learned. What are you doing? You're creating a Bible study at your table. And from there, your disciples can win the masses. Imagine that. We get these guys converted. I'm talking about my two here. The antelope and the bison. You figure out who's who. (laughs) Just imagine, we get him converted. Stand up. I'm going to embarrass you real good. (laughs) Imagine, say that we get him converted. One of these days, this joker's going to have his own family. He's going to marry a wife who's converted. He just won a soul, thank God. (laughs) And they're going to start having us grandbabies. We're going to have more souls to convert. And before long, the family, oh, you're not getting out of it, buddy. Come on. She's going to have to be a strong one. Y'all meet any ladies named JL, you just send us the contact info. Because if you can't handle them at Judges 4 and 5, you're not going to be able to get them at Proverbs 31. I'm just going to tell you that. But they're going to have a great time. This kid will watch videos of parents scaring kids, scaring their own kids. He's like, I can't wait to be a dad. He's going to win us a, a soul. You're going to win yourself a soul. Imagine that. And then all of a sudden, the circle of your influence has just grown because now your kids have spouses. Hey, love. She's going to need a Joshua. Or a Caleb. Or an Othniel. Who said, I'll go, Uncle Caleb. I'll fight giants. He's going to have to be tough. But when your kids grow up and they start getting married to folks who are believers and who are converts, all of a sudden the circle of your influence grows. And now the family discussions and the Bible studies that you've established with your own kids, they're doing at their houses. And you see... All of a sudden, now it's not just the five of us. Now it's eight. Then they start having kids, and now it's ten. Now it's twelve. Now it's twenty. Now it's thirty. 
We start having great. <laughs> How you doing? Those are my converts. And I'm going to get them converted. That's all right. You can laugh. It's hilarious. They know. My wife and I started arguing the other day. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. All of a sudden, the circle of influence starts growing. And what started with just me winning those that are in my house. Now look at all of the souls that have come in just because of that. And it's organic growth. Write them upon the doorposts of your house. I'm coming to a close. Musicians, come, please. And upon your gates... Let the word of God, let godly principles be the foundations of your home. Make it part of your family life because they're the ones that you spend the most time with. They're the ones who are gonna be under your influence. 18 years. Imagine what you can instill in them if you have them for those 18 years. Look what Jesus did with just three. Well, I'm not Jesus. No, but you got that spirit. And he said, Peter, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat. I've prayed for you. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Verse 21, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children. There's blessings attached to centering your life around the things of God. Let's stand. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you, to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you. And you can possess them. You will possess them. Greater nations, mightier than yourselves. You're going to be able to say, look what the Lord has done. When I was broken, he was my healing. Parents, let your kids know your testimony. This is where God brought me from. This is what he brought me through. This is what he healed me of. And he can do the same for everybody that you come in contact with. This is the best life. There are blessings attached to centering your life around the things of God. And let your kids know when those blessings come. Let them know, hey, we were just blessed. And this blessing came from God. God cares about us. One of the greatest testimonies that I ever experienced, I was a teenager, 2000 and 2021. My parents had bought their farm, built a house. They had to jump through hoops to build their house. And that whole process lasted a long time. And it pushed them from what is called a seller's market into a buyer's market. What does that mean? That means that when they had originally started building the new house, 
it was a perfect time to sell a home. The houses were just going like hotcakes. You could almost ask whatever you wanted and they would just boom, 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 just going. But because of the delay, situations that were out of their control, it pushed them into a buyer's market where everything slows down, prices start to drop, and houses just don't move. And so it was, I ran out of time to ask for clarification, but I believe it was 18 months they had two house payments. They were not wealthy. In fact, they were so poor, I went to college for free. Well, we never lacked. Just say it that way. We weren't poor. They just were not well-to-do. For 18 months, they had double house payments. One on a 10-acre farm and a new house build and the other on a house three, three and a half miles away for 18 months. Never once did they miss a payment. Money would just come from seemingly nowhere. They'd walk to the mailbox and there'd be a check in the mail. And my parents were always quick to tell us this is because we are faithful to God. If you'll be faithful to God, if you'll be faithful to the ways of God, if you'll be faithful to giving to God, what is His? God will always provide. He will always provide. You may not have everything that you want, but you'll have everything that you need. He's faithful. He is faithful. And I remember the day we were out, way in the back, up to our elbows in dirt, working. My dad's phone rang. Actually, it was before cell phones, before he had a cell phone. I remember my mom coming back there saying, hey, got an offer on the house. And then the offer on the house was good, and they pushed closing out like three times. It was one thing after another. But I watched parents were faithful and I watched God provide my parents helped convert me I understand that not everybody had what I had I understand tonight that situations are different but let me ask this question let me ask this question to those who have children and those who do not. And if you do not, then I want you to think about a future day. If it's coming, a future day. I want to have kids. What do you want God to do with those kids? What do you want to see God do in their lives and through their lives? You are a vital part of that. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're not able to be with them if you do have them. But you can still pray for them. What do you want to see God do in their lives? Perhaps there's strained relationships. Perhaps this or that. You can still pray. God will hear the prayers of a father or a mother. He will do it. I promise you, he will do it. And he can work even when you can't see it. He can work in their lives wherever they are. 
You may not be able to be there, but he can be there. He can be there. God, be, I, I pray that they get connected to the church. It'll be the mother that they, they can't have with me right now. God, be their father. Be their heavenly father. Let them feel your presence. Surround them, God. I'm telling you, there's power in your prayer. I want us to make our way to this altar tonight. And if you've got family here, then I want you to gather with your families. And I want you to pray as families. God, I want to help my